Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around him, and the impact he empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. How are we doing? Yeah? It's so cold, my MacBook wouldn't turn on there for a minute. I was like, oh dear. But we're good. It's warmed up. Um, my name's Matthew, and I am wondering, do we have any history fans in here? Who loves history? Hands up. Lovely. As I was preparing for this, my fear was that everyone would just like stare at me and there'd be no hands. Today we're going to have a little bit of a history class. We're going to paint the picture of what the world was like at the time of Jesus' birth. So if you've got a Bible or your phone, Luke chapter 2 is your friend. It'll take a little while for us to get to that, but that's where we're going. And my hope and my prayer for us um, as I've been preparing is that today will be a time of transformation for us. Um, I don't know about you, but I can find Christmas time uh, and this occasion and these stories and texts that we see in Scripture fairly familiar and over-familiar even. And so my sense today is that God wants uh, to transform our minds and our understandings of Christmas and what the world was like at the time of Jesus. I also think too, uh, uh, as a group we're praying beforehand and even during worship, um, the Lord wants to bring peace to us today as well, and I think that's going to happen. Um, so for those who aren't history fans, we're only going to ask three questions, all right? And the, qu the answers will be up behind me, promise. And um, for those who are wondering why Dave has forgotten to sit down, he's actually, um, it's part of the plan. He's going he's gonna, to um, weave in a Christmas carol throughout. You're welcome to sing with him, or you're welcome to just let him sing it over you. God, thank you for today. Um, thank you for the life that you've given us. Increase our zeal for that, Lord. I thank you that you are Lord in this place. I thank you that you're God of history. Come and have your way. Amen. So question number one, you ready? What was the world like when Jesus was born? Today is just public library general history stuff, okay? If we're looking at the time of Jesus and we're asking the question, what was the world like? The answer is the Roman Empire ruled everything. Answers are there. You've all got to check 100%. You're doing okay so far? Those who like find history difficult, I had Dr. Foy and Mr. Foster in school and they were great, they changed my life, so just channel the spirit of a teacher that you've never met. Um, but history stuff's okay so far. And it's interesting because um, in BCV for a while now, we've been in the Gospel of Mark and we've kind of paused that for a while, right? While we're looking at Advent and Christmas. But the Gospel of Mark is generally understood that it was written in Rome to new Roman converts to Christianity. So there's loads today that we can take with us into January and into the new year. Question number two, how did the Roman Empire rule? This is a guy called Germanicus. He's like the actual uh, General Maximus, if you remember Gladiator, the movie, that this is kind of probably who it was based on. And this is a report of him. He was a Roman general around the Rhine, and it says, to ravage more widely, Germanicus divided his ardent legionaries into four groups and laid waste an area 50 miles across with sword and flame, neither age nor sex, inspired pity. If we're looking at the Christmas story and the world into which Jesus was born, we have to understand that Rome ruled everything, and this is how they ruled. They ruled with flame and with sword. This report from a Roman historian talks about him ruling 50 miles wide, and it didn't matter if you were young or old. It didn't matter if you were male or female. You were going to die under his rule. How did they rule? 
this is how. another Roman general, Pompey, 63, 64 BC, so 63 years before Jesus was born, roughly. He conquers the east, he expands the Roman Empire eastward, and on his return back, when he took Jerusalem, by the way, and Israel, he, uh, he waited the Sabbath to attack, but when he, he took the east, Israel, Jerusalem, and he returned back to Rome in triumph, he had expanded this Roman Empire further east, and on his return to Rome and his triumphal re-entry, he dedicates a shrine to this goddess, Minerva, and on the shrine he boasts of taking over 12 million subjects or lives in over 1,500 towns. If we're looking at the time of Jesus' birth, this is what it was like. This was the time it was ruled by Rome, and this is how they ruled. It's written to Pompey, he extended the borders of the empire up to the borders of the world. Pompey maintained the revenues of the Romans, and in some cases, he increased them. Diodorus is saying, like, the borders of the entire known world at that time were the borders of this Roman Empire. Another general, we're taking like a hundred year jump, Titus, AD 70, comes into Jerusalem. This is a really interesting time in human history, really interesting time in biblical history. It's probably between like when Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written and John was written, probably somewhere in between then. Titus comes in, AD 70, to Jerusalem again and just levels it to the ground, including the temple. He burns it. And this report says, they caught every day 500 Jews. Now, some days they caught more. Yet it did not appear to be safe for him to let those that were taken by force go their way. So he took so many people captive every day in Jerusalem that he couldn't let them go. And to set a guard over so many, he saw would be to make such as great deal them useless to him. So he took too many captive to watch over them. He took too many to let them go. So the report continues. So the soldiers, out of the wrath and hatred that they bore the Jews nailed those that they caught one way, one way, and another after another to the crosses. By way of jest, when their multitude was so great that room was wanting for the crosses, and crosses wanting for the bodies. This is um, Titus. This is the time of Jesus' life, of his birth, and the time after that. This is what it was like to live at the time of Jesus, with wood running out of the crosses. They ran out of wood. Lonely the world in sin and error pining. Lonely the world in sin and error pining. A world ruled by the sword, ruled by flame, where it didn't matter if you were young or old, male or female, where over 12 million people are enslaved or killed by one general, where the Romans are running out of wood. Cassius, another Roman general, he's the one that kills the first Caesar with the mate Brutus, fairly popular story. He goes into a town called Tacharia, and then there he takes 30,000 people captive, and he takes them out with him. Another name for that town was Magdala. What was one of the names of Jesus' disciples was Mary of Answers are on the board, promise, yeah. 
These are real places at real times. These are real people who we know from the stories. One guy, um, a Greek historian, from a, from a safe distance, he watches the Romans come in and just level this city to the ground and burn it. And he writes, they do this, I think, to inspire terror. Varus, who's the last general that we'll look at, um, he was a Roman general at the time of Jesus' birth, or actually a little bit after it. He goes into a town called Sepphoris, and the same thing, the Romans were fairly uh, consistent and monotonous in what they would do. They would level the grounds, uh, they would burn it all, and anybody that wouldn't bow down to Caesar, we'll get to that in a second, would die. He takes 2,000 people in this town called Sepphoris, and he crucifies them. Sepphoris was on a hill, and he crucifies them around the hill. Um, Sepphoris was a couple of uh, kilometers from Nazareth, where Jesus grew up as a boy. And there are some reports that you could see the hills of Sepphoris from Nazareth. When virus has returned to Rome, he goes through a place called Emmaus, levels it to the ground, and burns it. These are real places that we know, real time, real people. Um, we're doing okay with the history so far. Two questions, one to go. Who ruled Rome? So we've looked at what the world was like, how the Romans ruled, and this last one is who ruled Rome. The Caesars ruled Rome. The first one was Julius Caesar, the guy with the hair, working on the salad, and he spent most of his time trying to decide if Parmesan cheese should or should not be in. The answer is it should. Um, <clears throat> he didn't rule the whole, sen- uh, the whole empire. He ruled it um, with the Senate, with Mark Anthony, uh, and he died, and his son um, Octavian came along, who then becomes Caesar Augustus, who's probably the most famous Caesar. Um, and what Caesar Augustus does is he has a, a real pinnacle, a real important moment in human history. He takes the entire empire, kind of pushes the Senate to the side, and unites it all under his name. So for the first time in human history, really, this whole empire is ruled by one person. Tiberius then was the Caesar during Jesus' ministry. Augustus was the ta- uh, Caesar at the time of his birth, and Domitian was the last one. If you do love history and you want like homework, go study Domitian and the Mark of the Beast and Revelation. That stuff's brilliant. Um, but this was the time of Jesus' birth. Julius Caesar, in the night he died, a star was seen in the sky. Those online can't see, but I'm, I'm wiggling my eyebrows at uh, the star in the sky. And Julius Caesar, it was said that that star was him ascending to the right hand of the gods. Um, and so his son came along, Julius Caesar, and said, well, if um, my dad is God, then that would make me the son of God. Uh, and he took this name Augustus, or he was given it from the Senate. And this name, Caesar Augustus, means the one who is divine. Or in Latin, it means the one who is to be worshipped. Virgil writes of him, Caesar Augustus, son of a God, who will again establish a golden age. He will live as God and observe the heroes of ancient times. Caesar Augustus will walk among the gods, and they will behold him in amazement. Peace he will bring to the world, governing it with the Father's power. The divine king of salvation, it's written about Caesar Augustus, for whom mankind has waited since the time of the pharaohs, is on his ways. Caesar Augustus will annihilate the evil of the past and free the peoples from unceasing fear. He will establish a universal empire of peace for the blessing of a renewed humanity. This is the Caesar at the time of Jesus' literal birth. On his return to Rome, Caesar Augustus returned triumphant because he wasn't just given the empire. Obviously, he took it and he killed Cleopatra. He killed Mark Anthony and the Senate, and he won a lot of big victories historically in the East and he returned to Rome triumphant. 
He returned to Rome as the adopted son of the first Caesar. He returned to Rome now as Caesar himself. He returned to Rome having taken this divinity upon himself. He inaugurated himself. And this return to Rome in triumph and inauguration was called an adventus, which means coming or arrival. We saw that last week. And this inauguration, this advantage of Caesar Augustus as he returned to Rome triumphant and took Caesar and the whole empire upon himself was a 12-day celebration. And in that 12-day celebration, the priests would offer incense on behalf of the people of Rome for the purification of their guilt. As he re-entered Rome during this 12-day Adventist celebration, and if your minds aren't exploding now, then I don't know what's going on, um, he returned to Rome and there was this um, Adventist hymn sung by 27 girls and 27 boys, and the hymn spoke about the savior of peace who has brought a golden age to world. May it last with increasing splendor from age to age, now and forever. This peace, which with Caesar Augustus ruled, wasn't really peace. It was ruled by the sword and by flame and by all these generals that we've seen. We don't have time to get into it now, but as the Caesars progressed, they claimed divinity more and more and more until the last guy like forced people to worship him and you couldn't really live in the empire unless you proved that you had worshiped him as God. And how did he maintain this peace? How did he create this empire? It was with the army, the famous Roman army, right? We all know that. You just watch Gladiator, that's what it's all about. And the way he, he, he paid this army and maintained his peace was through tax. So pretend you're a fisherman. Let's just pretend his name's Peter. And let's say uh, he's maybe in Israel, maybe in the north in Galilee, right? And he's coming off a, a night shift. And Peter's come to the edge of the lake or a pier. And he's, he's taken what little he's caught and put it onto the shore. And a tax collector comes along. Let's pretend his name's Matthew. And there's a Roman centurion beside Matthew who's like his BFF. And Matthew goes up and has complete authority <coughs> to take as many as he wants. So he might say 20 fish for Caesar, 15 fish for Herod. We don't have time for Herod today. Um, 10 fish for the emperor Caesar tax, 5 fish for the tribute tax, 10 fish for the temple tax. That leaves you with 10. I'm going to take 9 of them as a tax collector. Any problems, you can talk to my mate. And Matthew lives leaves with one fish left. This is the time of Jesus' birth. There's some reports at the time that say these Jewish people, particularly in the north in Galilee, paid up to 80 to 90% tax. Um, and this tax was used to create and maintain and enable the status quo, this peace which Caesar promised. If you wanted to do the propaganda of the day, if you wanted to tell everybody in the empire that Lionel Messi was without a shadow of the doubt, the best player that's ever existed, and that if there was a conversation about it, there'd be no Portuguese man in that conversation. If you wanted to spread the good news across the empire, remember, it's the entire rule, or it's the entire um, borders of the known world. You would mint coins. That's how he got his message across, and the only one that could mint the coins was Caesar. So on the night of his father's death, uh, when they remember the star in the sky, he would do a coin and tell the whole empire that a Caesar his father was God, and that, that made him the son of God. This penny, it's called the tribute penny. It's probably the penny that Jesus has used um, in the Gospels. You know when he's asked about paying taxes to Caesar, and someone produces a, a penny. Probably this one. And on the back of this penny, across the entire empire, from India to Britain, the entire borders of the known world, this penny was a cross and had one message on the back. Caesar is Lord. 
This is the world into which Jesus was born, but this also is the world into which Jesus was born. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and the family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth. A thrill of hope, the weary world Rejoices a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. And to this world she gave birth, a virgin in Bethlehem to a baby in the line of their greatest king, the only king who really had brought them any peace, David. Luke is reminding them about these ancient prophecies that they all knew. Well, we've seen before this principle of first mention. It's flexible as a tool for understanding Scripture. And the main thing it does, and it's helpful for us to ask the same question, is when people heard these verses for the first time, what else were they reminded about? Well, Luke here is screaming at us all about these ancient prophecies, about a Messiah, about a Savior, into this world of Rome that we have saved. She gives birth and is reminding them of prophecies. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name, God is with us. Or later in the same book, in, in chapter 9, it starts another prophecy, and it's one that we're quite familiar with. If you got the weekly or the daily emails, you'll have got this last week. And Isaiah 9 talks about a prophecy where people are waiting in darkness, where they're yoke of the burden. They're talking about the rod of the oppression of the oppressor. They're talking about being broken and trampled on in fire and blood. And Isaiah 9 then continues, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders, and on his name it will be exalted and called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. His name shall be called Prince of Peace. In those days, Emperor Augustus and she gave hope, a thrill, she gave birth, a thrill of hope. Indeed, the weary world rejoices in an enslaved, oppressed minority into a world full of poverty and slavery, where the freedom has been taken away now for generations, into a world where young or old, male or female, did not inspire pity, into a world where they are running out of wood, they crucified so many of them, into a world full of anger and darkness and terror, into a world like Sepphoris, where Caesar is claiming to be God, a baby is born. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Different kind of terror. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angels a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. Peace, peace, peace. Their response is true worship. It is the only appropriate response. A thrill of hope The weary world rejoices For yonder breaks A new and glorious morn Christmas story is telling us the same message as Mark and his gospel. He's saying that there's two empires. One empire, as we've seen, is built on bondage and oppression and lies and fear and death and fire and sword. The other empire is built on love. It's built on freedom. It's built on hope and it's built on truth. It's built on do not be afraid. It's built on life. It's built, as we will see, on resurrection. And only one of these empires really brings true peace because one of these empires is founded by the author and perfecter of peace. Only one of them draws out of us worship rather than forcing it upon us. This empire is a revolution. It's good news for all. It's good news to the poor. And what Luke is saying is that we have to choose. You see, this revolution turned the empire upside down. Within 200 years, they went from having to worship Caesar to getting to worship Jesus. This revolution turned this empire upside down completely. And in 200 years, the leaders of this empire were worshiping Jesus themselves. And it's not just then, it's the same today. What was the carol, the song, the anthem for the modern American abolitionist movement as they tried to abolish slavery? It was this. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. And chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name the problem was all the Caesars died every last one of them and their bodies were in the ground whereas Jesus was not they were not God 
It was not true. Augustus wasn't Lord. And so the anthem rang throughout the early church and to today, Jesus lives. The Christmas story tells us loud and clear through the centuries that Caesar is not Lord. Debt and bills and money is not Lord. Christmas time itself is not Lord. Family and stress and strange dynamics that you have once a year that you can be worried about, they're not Lord. Busyness and fear is not Lord. Death and even Satan himself is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. That is the anthem. That is the message of the Christmas story. Let's stand. Christ is the Lord, oh praise His name forever, His power and glory evermore his power and glory evermore proclaim. Oh, holy night. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth.
our ministry team could come to the front. We spoke about having our minds transformed. We spoke about God wanting to bring peace and changing our approach to this time of year. Maybe today has raised some things for you. Maybe today you need some prayer. We would love to pray for you. Maybe some of us have allowed some of these other things to become Lord in our life, and we want to give that back to Jesus who is Lord. Maybe for the first time or for the next time, you need to choose between the two empires. If there's anything at all we can pray for you about today, we would love to pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for today. I thank you that you're the Lord of history. I thank you that you're the Lord of the present. I thank you that you are Lord here in this place right now. I thank you that you won. I thank you that you came to earth. I thank you for your resurrection and your power. Father, quieten our spirits this season. Quieten our minds and our our thoughts and our souls and instill that in us today that you are Lord. You are Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.